0: For Monday, May 4th, 2020. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, researchers from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention here in Atlanta continue to learn new things about the coronavirus. In a report released last week, they found one in four people could expect severe illness even without underlying risk factors.
1: I think we like to to think of it as, you know, analogous to influenza in some ways, and it's just, it's not. It's It's a different virus.
0: Dr. Brendan Jackson, medical epidemiologist at the CDC, joins me to talk more about the report and the new things his agency is learning about this new virus. That's next. You love free. And at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender.
1: Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org.
0: Last week, researchers from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention here in Atlanta released a report looking at some 300 COVID-19 patients hospitalized in Georgia in the month of March. And they found some pretty interesting things. First, African Americans are more likely to be hospitalized for COVID-19. Second, some adults could expect severe illness even without underlying risk factors. Dr. Brendan Jackson is a medical epidemiologist at the CDC, and he is senior author on that report. He joins me now for more. Dr. Jackson, thanks for taking the time to talk with me. No, thank you. So tell me a little bit more about the report. I kind of went over the top line findings, but dive a little bit more into what y'all found.
1: Sure. Well, this, this really started out uh, about six weeks ago when we were trying to understand better what was going on in hospitals uh, with treating patients with, with COVID-19, and there just was not a lot of information out there yet from the United States. And so we partnered with the Georgia Department of Public Health and uh, eight hospitals, uh, mostly here in Atlanta, but also uh, one in South Georgia, uh, to collect information on patients who were dealing with, with COVID-19. I think one of the key findings is, is just what you highlighted, that there were a fair number of people who were relatively young, you know, the, the average age was only 60. Half the people were younger than that. And um, many of them had sort of very uh, few or or very mild comorbidities, meaning underlying conditions. So uh, that might mean that some of them had high blood pressure or, you know, a thyroid disorder or things like that, that are that are quite common in the population. And and I think that's what struck us in going through these charts was that while people did have uh, con underlying conditions, they were not, you know, severely weakened immune systems and that type of thing. So a quarter of patients were under the age of 65 and really had no conditions that CDC right now is thinking are high risk for severe illness.
0: That number, more than one in four, put that in, in, in context for us. I mean, is, is that a, a, a high figure
1: to you? You know, it was surprising to me, I think we're, we're you know, hearing reports all the time about patients that are, you know, in their 30s, 40s, uh, 50s, who are getting severe disease. So, you know, I think it's not a complete surprise, but um, I, I at least was uh, surprised by that, given, you know, I think most of the messaging is about uh, illness occurring in people who are older or who have severe medical conditions.
0: And, and talk to me about the outcomes that y'all saw for these patients. So just to be clear, all these patients were hospitalized. So they did have a severe course of the disease. But once they were hospitalized, how did this quarter of patients without these, you know, pre-existing risk factors actually end up faring in the hospital?
1: Right. So about a quarter of those people uh, ended up going to the ICU. And unfortunately, about 5% of them uh, died and that was definitely less than what was seen in the older age groups. In people over the age of 65, over 30 percent, over a third, um, died. So definitely better outcomes overall. But sadly, um, still, there were, were young people without a lot of conditions that were that were dying as well.
0: I think the thing that caught certainly my attention with this report was its finding with regards to African-American patients. Talk a little bit about uh, what you found there
1: right that was not something we set out to to look for in the first place um we started you know this this you know sort of review process in late march before this disparities issue was was really known and we were surprised at what we were finding i guess you know perhaps we shouldn't be we know that disparities exist across a range of of diseases um in this group of people that we examined over 80% were african american um and This was only eight hospitals in Georgia. That's less than a tenth of the total number of hospitals. So this is certainly not representative of all hospitals in Georgia, let alone even in metro Atlanta. But it was definitely higher uh, than what was seen in sort of like the baseline rates for those hospitals.
0: That's fascinating to me that y'all weren't necessarily looking for this. And even at the time you started this work, this wasn't necessarily kind of a a current in our thinking of of COVID-19, that certain communities were affected disproportionately. So this really um, gives a little bit more data to this idea that maybe has been kicked around for some time, which is that some some populations are are more affected.
1: Right, and and I want to point out something, which is that uh, that you know, African American folks in this cohort did not do any worse than others once they were in the hospital. So they had uh, similar rates of needing a ventilator, similar rates uh, of death, and. So I don't think this is anything that has to do with any innate biology or anything like that. You know, I, I know there's a lot of discussion about this um, and you know there's probably two factors that that are at play. You know, I think one is the underlying conditions that people have. And we know that African Americans in Georgia have higher rates of obesity, diabetes, and other types of diseases. And so that may be playing a role in terms of who ends up in the hospital. And of course there's all the socioeconomic factors um, and other disparity issues that come into play income and jobs and who can do social distancing and all the rest. Although I think it's important to note this investigation we did was really in, from the beginning of the epidemic here in Georgia, you know, sort of in early mid-March through the end of March, and things may already be changing since then. We know, for example, that across the country there are more and more nursing homes affected. So there could be changes in demographics overall.
0: And, and talk to me a little bit more about those those social factors. You know, the, the average listener might think, oh, certain groups might be more uh, likely to have preexisting health conditions. But it's not purely that. It's also the kinds of settings that they live in, the kind of jobs they hold.
1: From what i understand you know i I work part-time on on hiv and i know that hiv for example you know didn't necessarily start out primarily in the african-american community but it has come to to sort of concentrate unfortunately within the african-american community particularly here in the south and particularly here in atlanta and you know diseases often tend to concentrate in um, areas of poverty and but that's not necessarily the case we know covid 19 can absolutely affect um anybody. And I think, but I think it can be a product of once it gets into certain communities, it will tend to circulate in those communities. And then there's also the, the issue of if, you know, you've got to be out there uh, doing one of these essential jobs, uh, you might, and we know that lower income um, workers are less able to telework and social distance. So I think there's a lot more that it, lots of people are working to try to find out about this. Um, but our goal here was just to sort of raise attention to what we were seeing.
0: And, and reading through this report and kind of getting into how y'all actually did this work, um, the the report kind of puts out how y'all find people. This was a convenience sampling, so this is getting people who are easy to get. Um, how does that kind of way you, you've gone about finding these people potentially affect how maybe generalizable this this work is?
1: That's an important question. Yeah. In epidemiology, we always want to try and focus on getting randomized samples that are representative of the broader population. And there is other work that's ongoing right now, a project called COVIDNet, that's really doing that, getting it at a population-based level. What we were really trying to do was a rapid assessment. I think we got a pretty good snapshot of what was going on in those hospitals. We really tried to be as systematic in just getting each patient off the list as the hospital provided them. I think that the numbers kind of increased towards the end, so it wasn't completely... Um, systematic, but I think we have a pretty good sense of what's going on, but I I wouldn't want to overstate to say that that it's completely representative. And so, you know, that means that if for some reason, you know, patients came in at a different time or were tested at a different time for different reasons, that might not show up in the data that we're showing.
0: Um, How much can these uh, kind of findings maybe be transposed on other states uh, here in the country?
1: That's a really important point, yeah, but it's not representative necessarily even of all of Georgia or the rest of the country. I think there's certain factors that are probably going to be similar across the board. I think some of the things that will hold a little more um, steady is that, you know, sort of the overall length of stay data. Um, The average person who was in the group um, was in the hospital for about eight days. Some were a bit shorter and some were quite a bit longer or even still hospitalized now. Um, And I think, you know, the mortality rate is is sort of in line. The death rate was what we're seeing in other places, right about um, one in six people who went into the hospital overall, and about um, 40 percent of those who went to the ICU.
0: These uh, morbidity and mortality weekly reports are really kind of the the cutting edge of of public health knowledge coming out from our nation's, you know, preeminent public health agency. Why did y'all even think to look at Georgia, to look at these populations?
1: You know, there's larger studies and, and, and surveillance work, that's what we call sort of ongoing data collection for public health, that are in the works. And our goal with this was really to try and get some some quick answers of what was going on. And, you know, the fact that we're based right here in Atlanta, we have a strong relationship with the, the state health department and local hospitals. Uh, that's why we thought this is something that we can get off the ground quickly and get some data out. Who is the
0: audience for, for this report and, and what do you hope that they, they take away from it?
1: Well, I, I would say our original audience was intended to be clinicians, you know, public health planners, uh, professionals that were really looking, treating these patients, trying to get a sense of, of what people are seeing, how how to prepare, how to respond. Um, I think that in terms of the underlying conditions and and the, the racial distribution, I think those were a bit more surprises, at least um, to me. And so I think that's a bit more relevant um, to the public. Um, so definitely it's important to continue to get the word out about any racial disparities and making sure that we are uh, directing interventions for the groups that, that are at least right now at highest risk. And um, also just getting the word out that, you know, this is not just a, a disease of people who are uh, older and have pre-existing uh, conditions that, you know, it's, the rates are lower in younger people, but unfortunately they can also get uh, quite sick.
0: This is a time when so many people are looking for kind of big comprehensive answers about what this disease is, what it does to people and how we can potentially fight it. What do you kind of make of that? Because I feel like this report is maybe one of those really small injections of information, um, but we still have an overall picture that is still very unclear.
1: The pace of scientific discovery is just absolutely remarkable with this disease. And given that it's a pandemic affecting the whole world and there's people in all these disparate locations that are finding new and important things, I think that's just a, a sort of testament to the sort of scientific process and people getting out that information and sharing it. And you know, obviously the challenge with that is sorting out the good information uh, from the bad. I will say that there was just uh, a, a, some large guidelines put out um, a week or two ago by um, all the federal agencies in terms of treatment guidelines. I think it was led by NIH and CDC and others were involved in that. And so I think that's one uh, piece of information that, that really is sort of a unifying factor about what we know now. And I know those are gonna be updated as information evolves.
0: Sure. And I think that that gets to the idea that there is still so much unknown about this disease. So talk with me a little bit about what it's like to work in that space. What do you make of kind of being on the the, the kind of cusp of, of what we actually know about COVID-19 when it comes to doing your work?
1: You know, one of the things we were looking at in, in this investigation was what happens to people when they're in the hospital. And we were only just able to scratch the surface in terms of what we saw in this report. But just to, to point out, you know, we hear a lot about ventilators, Uh, when it comes to COVID-19. And that's critically important. We know that about um, three in 10 people went on a ventilator. But there were other complications too, things like septic shock, which that means low blood pressure that was often requiring medications uh, to raise it. And those are medications that we need to make sure that hospitals have in stock to support those patients. Almost 10% of people had kidney failure in the hospital so severe that they needed to be put on new dialysis or some similar form of dialysis. And so that's obviously something that that hospitals need to consider about having enough resources to be able to support those patients with that. And then finally, there's more and more data coming out about blood clots, including sort of abnormal blood clots in people who have COVID-19. And I know that's something we we very much need more data on. And so I I expect that we're just gonna continue to find or be surprised by this virus. It is, you know, I think we like to to think of it as, you know, analogous to influenza in some ways, and it's just, it's not, It's it's a different virus.
0: Dr. Brendan Jackson is a medical epidemiologist at the CDC. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets in PR. You can reach us with questions, comments, or controversy at washyourhands@wabe.org. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at S. Claude Whitehead. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app, where you can also leave us a rating and a review. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening.